Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legvold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Chaplain Keith Beckwith, a former soldier in the Army National Guard who transferred into the Air National Guard as a chaplain. He's also a pastor at Cornerstone Church in Northfield, Minnesota. So just as a background, we might sound a little different this episode. Uh, In fact, we're actually recording in the church, which is really cool for me because this church and this building is something that my family on the Legvold side helped to build many years ago. I've been to weddings and funerals and lots of events here growing up, so this is really special. So thanks, Chaplain Beckwith, for opening up the building to us doing Beneath the Wing today. Our pleasure. So journey from soldier to airman and chaplain. Can you kind of unpack how that happened and then why? Well, that's a great question. The journey, too, is always fraught with, I think, a little bit of frustration that causes you to want to pursue something greater. I was loving what I was doing. I was a mechanic on Blackhawks and Hueys, and when I was in Germany, also on Apaches. And my time here in the National Guard in, in Minnesota was with the aviation unit down in St. Paul, home and airfield, and just really, really loved uh, that opportunity. Made rank kind of quick. And then one day when uh, we were up at Camp Ripley, this young man came back from going off post. And he probably had a little much to drink and was kind of processing deeply. And I was sitting on my bunk reading something. I don't remember what it was. And he walked over and said, hey, Sergeant, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, let's chat. And so we spent the next hour hour, half an hour, uh, talking. And while we were talking, I was just sensing how much I really enjoyed this. And fast forward, we used to do SRPs back then. Soldier readiness program? Right. So we used to do MODRAs, which was mobilization operational readiness exercise. And mobilization operation deployment exercise. And we would go up to Camp Ripley and we would go through the stations, do JAG, do chaplains. That's a fancy way of saying we're getting ready to make sure all of our stuff is ready to go on a big trip. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, we, there was a person that was at a break. Uh, they went out for a smoke break or something like that. And the person that was replacing them or filling in for them while they were on break was the specialty recruiter for the state of Minnesota. I sat down and she saw my name on my paper. She saw the name on my uniform. And she said, Beckwith, I'm supposed to talk to you about the chaplaincy. And out of the blue, that whole week, so that was, I think, a Saturday. And that entire next week, there was five separate people that were telling me I was supposed to be a chaplain. And then that Sunday, in this very church where we're sitting right now, my pastor's son was home from his first deployment. He was playing a video 
And I got very emotional while the video was playing and my wife looked at me and she said, you know what you're supposed to do, right? I said, yes. So that started the process, 2005. I commissioned uh, later that year and uh, started the process to become a, a chaplain. You transferred at the same time you became a chaplain or were you a chaplain in the army first? I was a chaplain in the army first. So I finished the army chaplain school in 2006 and then again in 2008, multiple uh, sessions, finished seminary, finished ordination, and then we had more chaplains or chaplain candidates than we had slots. And the state chaplain at the time was looking to make sure he was filling those slots. I interviewed the base. I loved the interview. I loved the experience and transitioned summer of 2011. I've been Air Force ever since. Never looked back. Never looked back. Hotter chow. More comfortable beds, easy chairs. It's all good, right? It's all good. So what do you think? Because people like me have gone through their entire career, and we know our chaplains, and we, we love our chaplains, and they're all fantastic and awesome. I mean, really, what's the essence of being a chaplain? Wow. Yeah. That's a great question. There's this idea of, of bringing God to airmen and airmen to God. And the Air Force Chaplain Corps, when I was at the chaplain school in 2012, they had a motto that was, we're everyone's chaplain. We're some people's pastor, imam, rabbi, or priest. And I love that. If you don't believe in any deity whatsoever, I'm still your chaplain. And if you have a similar faith background than I do, then I might be your pastor. Uh, but it, it prevents from me pigeonholing anyone into a specific group. If they call me pastor, that's their decision to do so, but I'm everybody's chaplain. And I think that's a really wonderful way of looking at it because we are there, we do three things. We provide, we perform, and we advise. We perform what we can according to our faith practice and the agency above us that gets us permission to be a chaplain in the military. We provide that which we can't. For instance, I'm not a Muslim. I am not uh, a Jewish practitioner. So I will find someone. I'm not a Catholic priest. I will find someone or a resource for my airmen to fulfill that spiritual need. And then we advise. Uh, we help commanders stay out of the weeds. We help first sergeants and, and chiefs uh, navigate appropriately when we're thinking through um, a mission or a specific situation we're, we're dealing with, we help those commanders, those senior leaders, and even junior leaders really kind of navigate appropriately to make sure that we're doing proper religious accommodation for all airmen. So three Ps, right? Provide. Provide, perform, and advise. Provide, sorry, two. And one A, which one do you like best? You would think that the easy answer would be perform because I'm, a, I'm an ordained minister in my, my faith group. But I, I get to do that. But what I really enjoy doing is coming alongside the leadership and listening and hearing our airmen and what they're going and then coming back to the commander. And whether it's General Hazi or Colonel Johnson or... General Gabrielli, or even now Colonel Cleet, the same 
mission has been there for all the commanders that I've served under thus far, and that is take care of my airmen. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And they all seemed kind of focused on that. When I had the interview with General Gabrielli, he always, uh, you know, you ask him, what's that one piece of advice? And, you know, I always uh, listen um, with the, the idea of um, how is this going to impact every airman. Um, and, and being able to advise in that, that's, that's kind of a privileged spot to be. Um, there's certain things you can do, and there's certain things you cannot do. And you talked a little bit about, you know, you can't provide something you can't provide. What are some of the things as a chaplain that you're limited in? That's a great question. It's based on uh, a couple of different things. So there's a personal spiritual conviction that I, that I have as a, as a human being serving in the context of the military. Then there's the expectation and authorization for my faith group. So my endorsing agent, that's what that, that title is. For a priest, it's the Archdiocese of military, military Service. And they recently came down, in fact, I'm going to be um, posting it this week on our update to the Minnesota chaplains, that the Archdiocese of Military Service, which represents all Catholic priests in all the branches of the military, you will not absolutely be participating in a courts martial because of the uh, sensitivity to privileged communication and to confidential communication. So that's one thing we can't do. We can't disclose to anyone what's said behind closed doors. I say closed doors because that's oftentimes what happens, but it could be a conversation at a picnic table that turns to privileged communication because this is a disclosure between the individual and a chaplain. And we hold that very, very close to heart. We, our newcomers brief, when we're going and advising leadership, when we're doing our annual reminder of religious accommodation and religious freedom, our CBTs that we have to take, we're constantly helping people understand that this is one thing that we provide that no one else has. Everyone wants to try to keep personal stuff personal. But when it crosses a certain line, it has to go to leadership. It has to go to command. It has to go to medical group. We don't do that. We want to come alongside the airman. And the only time we disclose it is when the airman has given us the right to, in verbal and written, and usually signed off by a disinterested third party, saying, I witness this individual is giving permission to the chaplain to share something that was disclosed within you know, the confines. So that line doesn't move? doesn't move. For you? It's a great line. It's... It's that it's that it's that buffer to know that's that's where the buck stops. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that uh, even though I don't serve a, a, a number of faith traditions, um, even though I'm not allowed to buy my denomination, it's wonderful to come alongside a rabbi or an imam or another faith practitioner and find the best resource for that airman for their specific need. A lot of needs out there right now. Let's talk about that. So it's 2020, and we are, in fact, recording this on Sunday, the 15th of November. And this year, we've faced COVID-19, which is getting worse. The tragedy surrounding George Floyd, including the activation of the entire Minnesota National Guard. A vitriol of an election that divided our nation. It's still divided. 
and numerous natural disasters throughout the country and within our own organization, including a death of one of our own airmen, someone close to us. How do we recognize and practice good self-care through all this and on top of that, caring for others? As I've been thinking about this personally, there's a visual that I've been using with advising leadership when I've talked to people. I love to swim. And there's something really refreshing about jumping off the dock. This is the land of over 10,000 lakes. 10,000 is not enough, apparently. And you jump off the dock and you, you go into the water and you're, you're swimming along and you're getting ready to come up and take that refreshing breath. And there's almost like an anticipatory process that's going on, even physiological and even psychological. There's this euphoric thing that happens inside of us as we're just getting ready to you know, break the surface and take that breath. And now imagine that someone has put their hand over your mouth and brought you back under for a while. You're not able to get that breath. You still need the breath. You still need to break the surface and get air into your lungs. And that's kind of what it's felt like for me. And as I've had conversations with airmen, in some ways, when I've shared that, there's almost like, oh, yeah, oh, uh-huh. The reason I share that is we still need the air. We still need the oxygen. We still need to get that breath. And we have to fight a little bit harder now. I used this example with someone the other day. COVID is not the causation of anything. It may exacerbate things, but it's not causing them. If someone already struggles with something, COVID might have another impact on it, but there was already a struggle to, to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard people say, well, COVID is causing an increase in the suicide rate. And I would argue, hopefully, accurately, I don't believe that COVID is causing an increase in the suicide rate. I believe that COVID is, and I use the example of like a Petri dish. A Petri dish just sits there. It doesn't produce a staph infection or whatever thing that they look to to see if there's a response. But if something's exposed to it, then it is the fertile soil, so to speak, of revealing whatever that is. They do a cheek swab and they want to find if you've got the flu or if you've got you know, pick something, they might use that as an indicator. We're all wanting to take that deep breath. And I think that's the first place to start, is to take while we can, when we can. We're best airmen, we're best people, when we're emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically healthy. And if we're not there, sometimes it's as simple as taking that first deep breath. Okay. So how, uh, aside from encouraging other people to breathe, I mean, we all know people that struggle with stuff. I, everybody has struggled with things. Like you said, they, it's, COVID's not the cause, but it's exacerbated a whole lot of what is already hard inside of people that they struggle with. Um, what are some things that everyone can do when they see someone else struggling, when they are struggling themselves, aside from just hey, first take the deep, take that deep breath, 
Uh, we all have people that we love and, and care about, and we watch them struggle while we're struggling. What can we all do? Mm. And that's the magic question. I'd love to believe that it starts with owning your own stuff, not pretending that you're not dealing with something, but allowing that, they call it mindfulness, allowing yourself to be aware of where you are so that you can still stay present in the same space as someone else. And that's not always easy to do because sometimes you're overwhelmed with what you're dealing with. And then it's okay to say, and I think this is permission. I think it's a beautiful thing for a leader, for anyone, for any airman to be able to say, you know what, I'd like to talk about that, but I don't have the bandwidth to address it right now. Can we agree on a time Mm -hmm. when we'll come back and address that? That gives space for both parties to be able to. Now, the most important thing of that, the caveat there is, that there is an agreeable time and that both parties do commit to getting back together. So time, giving somebody time, and this was one of the questions that that I kind of had pre-slugged for this. How do we get people to a safe emotional space where they can be real and authentic and not be superficial or dismissive of theirs or others' feelings? I mean, I like the idea of just saying, hey, can we come back to this another time? But to me... If someone says that to me, great. I'm done talking to you for a while and I can keep on wrestling with my own issues. But it's having that ability to circle circle back on that person and say, hey, we talked last Thursday and you weren't doing well. Where are you at? But how do, how do we get to that place where we can be authentic with one another? There's an idea I've been tossing around and I call it conversations that lead to commitment. And the commitment is both parties' responsibility. They have the opportunity to say when they'll come back to this. And for the other party, it gives them permission to check in on. I'll have a conversation with a struggling airman and I'll finish up the conversation with, was this helpful? I always like to ask, (laughs) I want to not be wasting my time in somebody else's life Mm -hmm. and and, and, uh, wasting their time and the thing that we were doing, which I thought was helpful, was not helpful for them. So I'm asking for clarification. Was this helpful? And most airmen are really nice. Yes, chaplain, thank you. And I don't know if they're placating. I don't know if they're just being nice. I don't know if it's a rank thing. I'd love to believe that at some point or another it has been helpful. But if I hear that, then I ask a follow-up question. Based on what we talked about, what would be a good time for me to check in with you just to see how things are going? And I, I think it's really important for all of us to give people space. We were talking about this early on when we first were into COVID land and we were all on Zoom calls all the time and we were I was having Zoom fatigue. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. And someone wanted to talk about doing another Zoom call and I just, 
oh, that external expressive. But one of the things that we have found researching uh, web and video kind of conversations is if there's a technology glitch or there's a pause, so you and I are talking to each other right now, we can read each other's body language, but on a, on a screen, was there a buffering? Was there a technology issue that's, or are they actually pausing to think through something? And then we want to immediately go, are you still there? Is everything okay? And we rush to try to get to the answer because that's what makes us feel better. Where that pause is actually a beautiful thing. There's a lot, there's a lot in science, uh, in the silence, you know, and it, in a way it, it gives somebody that is a little bit more cognitive, uh, or cerebral, the chance to process what they're going to say and then say it. And how many times do we just not, people like us are not comfortable with the silence. Uh, when I was teaching, I had to learn this trick of actually moving my fingers and counting to five. Mm -hmm. And having to do that physically helped me to encourage those kids that normally would just put their hand down or not even raise their hand and not answer a question. They never developed the skill of speaking and speaking their mind and speaking what they're thinking of. It's, it's hard. Um, so you talk about what was this helpful? What, what a great way of closing out a conversation was this helpful? And then when can I circle back to you? Some folks just never get to that point. And, um, one of the things that uh, I've had a lot of conversations, especially with my wife, about is this idea that there's some folks out there that are always just on cloud nine and super happy and everything's good all the time. Are we facing a mass pandemic of people lying to themselves? This idea that there's this toxic positivity that someone's always carrying around and never really honest or authentic. Well, maybe it's apropos that we're at the church where I serve right now, but... Everything's always good for the pastor, right? No. Uh -huh. No. And, you know, there's a lot. Uh, so I visited the, the Worthington long-term care facility team. Had a great evening with them. The all-airmen working down in Worthington. One started, soldier. One soldier. It was, and she, she, felt, she felt lovingly brought in as part of the fold. <laughs> um, I won't disclose what branch she might want to join, but uh, it was it was it was just so great. But I was so blessed that they were self-aware enough to be cognizant that something actually exists called caregiver fatigue, and I'm really looking forward to continuing to partner with them and to continue to have this conversation because they brought it up. Well, in the same way, uh, a battalion commander in the army, a sergeant major, a command chief, a squadron commander, a group commander could be portraying that everything's together. But who are they honestly having that conversation with when it's not? And that's a hard thing. Because leadership is hard. We make decisions and we have to be accountable for the decisions we make. And that 
oftentimes makes leadership a very lonely place. You mentioned I had an army background. In the army, the two direct special staff to the commander at every echelon all the way up is the sergeant major, the E9, and the chaplain. If you looked at a flow chart, all three of those are on the same lateral position. Commander in the middle, on the one side is the sergeant major, on the other side is the chaplain. Which means that both of those people, the E9 and the chaplain, have direct access and responsibility to speak in and to ask the hard questions of the commander. Air Force is different that way. We have special staff. But it's so important, whether it's a chaplain or a chief or someone else, to be able to look another person in the eye and say, hey man, how's it going? And then ask the follow-up question. All right, hey, how's it really going? I found doing that at the church has really opened up some doors. Because people, when they're really hurting, they will actually find you out. Hey, pastor, can I talk to you? But sometimes when they don't know they're hurting, but they are hurting, and everybody else recognizes it, and they're on cloud nine, as you say, mm -hmm. so to speak. When we ask that secondary question, sometimes it's just enough to break the glass a little bit and allow us in and say, oh, let's sit down and talk about that sometime. So um, we're going to keep going with this interview, but we're going to take a short break. Um, I've got a special message for everybody. We're dealing with some harder and deeper things on this episode of Beneath the Wing, which I think is really appropriate for this day and age that we're in. But uh, we're going to come right back with Chaplain Keith Beckwith. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying my interview with Chaplain Beckwith. During the holiday season, there's a lot of stress out there. And if you are a 133rd Airlift Wing member, I wanted to give a quick reminder that you can reach out to all of our wing lifelines, including our Chaplain Corps, but also our Director of Psychological Health, SAPR, and Airman Family Readiness Programs. They're all available and easy to be reached using our wing app. So I encourage you to use that or reach out to one of your wingmen. If you're a military member, former military member, uh, you can also get some help out there. Military OneSource is a great resource for folks who are uh, affiliated with the military community. You can get confidential help, military life cycle planning, moving and housing help, family relationship help, financial and legal help. Trust me folks, I've reached out to them and they've been great help. You can reach them at militaryonesource.mil. That's militaryonesource.mil or reach out to them on the phone, 1-800-342-9647. That's 800-342-9647. Nobody needs to struggle by themselves. Let's get back to the interview. Thanks for sticking around. I've been interviewing Chaplain Keith Beckwith, and we've been talking a little bit about this idea of toxic positivity and ways that we can dig in a little bit deeper to find out really how someone is doing. And I don't know if I had a nickel for every time um, I've opened up a little bit or I've heard somebody open up and I've heard statements like, it'll get better, could be worse. Well, at least you don't have shingles. Uh, there are, there's 
always this these ways that we just have a, we we have a way of being dismissive, and I've even used those statements too with folks. And um, it's difficult to face the painful and dangerous and sometimes fatal realities that we are working within here. Um, what are some other statements? Um, I, I love the "Was this helpful?" Uh, thought. What are some other statements that we can use when we want to dig a little bit deeper, but sometimes we just can't uh, get to that point with someone? You can call it reflective listening. You can call it active listening. There's a number of, of titles out there. But I think just being honest and genuine and it sounds weird, but it's participating in the space of another human being. Being present as much as possible in that conversation. Because I think what you're referring to is this idea that um, Brene Brown, we watched a video of hers a couple years ago with one of our mm -hmm. Wingman days. And Brene Brown is a very interesting uh, cartoon characterization while she's speaking in the background, but it's this idea of silver lining things. It's not a real word, but she created it. Mm -hmm. This phrase of at least. She said no real great deep conversation began with at least. And she uh, there's a giraffe that comes down the ladder to the bear that's in the cave in this particular visual. And this goat or something leans in, doesn't come down the ladder, just, just leans in and saying, oh, you know, my son's really struggling. Well, at least your daughter gets good grades. Oh, my marriage is falling apart. Oh, at least you're still married. Mm -hmm. No deep personal connection with another human being um, and I've often called it now rubbing souls, rubbing against another soul. Um, no deep, powerful conversation that is really healing, supportive, and encouraging begins with at least. And so our language, I think, is so important. I heard a speaker recently at... Uh, spiritual wellness forum that was held in the state. And he's a well-known speaker. His name is uh, Father Cantrell. And he was talking about walking into a room and setting the stage for what was yet to happen. He was re specifically referring from counseling to counseling to counseling, but he would walk in the room and say, hey, thank you for coming in. I want you to know that I desire to be completely present in our conversation. In order to do that, I need to take just a bit of time to make sure my mind is in the right place, my attitude is in the right place. Would you mind giving me that just five minutes as we get going? And I remember pausing as I heard him say that and say, that is golden. How many people would, would take that type of statement from someone because that is so foreign to all of us. No one starts a conversation like that. So this person must have some ulterior motive or they're, this is not genuine. 
how many people would struggle with that? Because if I, if I heard that at the beginning of a conversation, depending on the setting, I might just say, this dude's up to something. So mm. sometimes it's, it's a matter of showing up and not only asking for that permission to have that authentic conversation, but also disarming another person's skepticism. How do we do that? I want to believe that I have a belief system saying that I want to believe the best first. And I want to have, I want to make someone have to prove me wrong. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go with my gut on this one, chief, and just say, I'm going to hope that they trust the position and the resource that we are as chaplains mm -hmm. in the wing, as human to human interaction, that 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 space will be given because the benefit from taking that time to be completely present. I we did this during our wingman day. We talked about this idea that in the breakout session, if you're really listening to someone, you won't have to pretend you're listening to them. They'll know. It's a practiced skill, isn't it? It is. And so, sometimes, I mean, you told the story right at the beginning of our podcast about. A uh, soldier that came home and just needed you, and you had no problem being present in that moment, um, both listening and and being thoughtful. Uh, it's a struggle though, and it takes a lot of practice. Um, and I don't think we ever master the skill of good listening. I have a tendency of listening to respond mm -hmm. rather than just listening to hear. But you know, I, I at least I admit what the what the problem is. Sometimes there, I just said at least, and here we are. <laughs> hey, uh, so a lot of people have started listening to this podcast from all kinds of different backgrounds, not just military. As a person that asks the questions, that's a little intimidating, um, but at the same time, it's it's really awesome that people just want to get a clearer picture of the connections that we have with folks out here in the guard. Um, there's this idea that we have these good relationships and yet it's still a military organization with hierarchy and structure and, and all the requirements that we have. How do we care for the heart while at the same time we prepare for military readiness and are they linked? Oh, you got some really good ones, uh, Chief. I was drinking when I wrote all the questions, so I kidding. Think that I think there's so much of being a really a really real person. Um, I, I, I'm a person that takes snapshots in my life. There's a moment in time, I'm an audio kinesthetic learner, and there's a moment in time, an event that I was at, that I remember literally where I was sitting, what I was doing, maybe what I was even drinking a soda or something, and I remember specifically, specifically what the individual said. And it so stuck out to me. And I think there's something just about being real with people. And there's a fear in some ways, if I'm too real, that crosses a line. And you wanna, you wanna balance that out. I am a high energy, fast speaker, and I know that about myself. And case in point, I'm doing one of my first briefs to the chief's work group downtown at the Joint Force Headquarters, where I serve during the week. And I get a target coaching opportunity from my boss. 
And the cool thing was, is I look forward to this because it improves me. It makes me a better person. But I would argue that that's an emotional intelligence and emotional maturity that's been building over the last number of years. I might not have received it the same way a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I saved it. I have it in my, my file of things to remember. And it was, it was a good briefing. It was, and it's not just the crap sandwich where, yes, good, yuck in the middle. Yeah, okay. It was, hey, this is really, really good. Just pace yourself a little bit better. Remember, you're briefing the chief of staff who sits directly underneath tag, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sir, Roger, got it. But I, there has to be some ability to balance the professionalism, the proper uh, military ethic, and still being a human being that, that goes home and has to cut the lawn or has to, in Minnesota, you know, has to... Shovel the snow. Shovel the snow. It's coming. Right? <laughs> um, but I think, if I can answer that appropriately, I think when we cross that line, we lose the ability to hold that, hold that appropriate professional um, ethic. And it's, it is a very delicate process. Okay. So we just celebrated Veterans Day this past week. We all got a day off. It was great. Uh, what does a veteran, being a veteran, mean to you? Oh, man. My sister did a uh, DNA thing a while back to see kind of where her family tree came from. And I can trace my personal direct military connection all the way back to the Civil War. That's about as far as I can go right now. I'm mm-hmm. sure it goes farther, but you got to pay more to find more. My brother and his father-in-law had the privilege to go to Gettysburg on the 150th. And just for fun, they were going to look up our great uncle. And they found him. And for the sake of the podcast, I won't say what side he was serving on. But they found him, and they found out that he actually survived Gettysburg. Mm. And for me, when I hear the word veteran, I am standing on the soldiers' shoulders of giants who've gone before me, and I get to carry the torch still. Something, something really powerful about that. 2012, right here in Northfield, I was asked to do the Memorial Day Address. And it was a very special day because my, my dad has passed now. It was my father. It was my father-in-law. And it was a gentleman who was the deputy chaplain assistant to the deputy chaplain to Patton. Wow. He became a friend of our families. And there were three veterans right there that I wanted to be there because I respect these men, my father-in-law, my father, and this man. And it was just really, and looked, I looked, as I was speaking, I looked over at them, and it just, this emotion welled up within me. Uh, and that, that address was, was a three-part sermon, <laughs> mm-hmm. so to speak. When someone tells you their story, listen. Share their story. 
and, and look for opportunities to hear someone's story. I was telling you the other day, I had the privilege to speak at an event, and lo and behold, the gentleman that invited me happened to be my battalion commander in Desert Storm. What a treat. Yeah. So we are standing on the shoulders of giants that have gone before us. It's proud to be, it's, it's, there's something amazing about being a part of something bigger than yourself. I think that's, that's a reason why so many of us feel so attached to the idea of, of serving in the military. And our, our stories are quite different in that regard in that most of my family, uh, teachers, preachers, or farmers, um, I, I did have a great uncle that served in the military, but other than that, my family tree, not a lot there. Um, but it, it, there's still this sense of we're serving with these people that we're so close-knit with, feel that kindred spirit, stand on their shoulders and continue to serve. So you looked out and you saw those chaplains sitting there. When someone thinks of a chaplain, there's a stereotype that comes to mind, right? Uh, Soft-spoken, quiet, shepherd type. And yet seven chaplains have been awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. Many have been captured and tortured during war and even killed in action. What are three words you would use? Three words. Here I get to limit the chaplain. Three words that you'd use to describe a chaplain that don't necessarily fit the stereotype. Courageous. Faithful. And servant. Could we all use that a little more? Yeah, I agree. So faithful, not necessarily to the religion that uh, that you serve. It's faithful to the people that you serve, right? And servant servanthood comes comes to mind a lot. Um, are we? If the world just opened up, woke up, and more people walked out into the sunlight each day with more of a servant's heart, would we be better? Would we be better? I think it goes without saying. There was a woman, as I was going out of my favorite coffee place in town of Great Sandwiches, that had a bag in her hand and walking with a crutch. And as I, went, I was on a time crunch, I had to get back with my sandwich. And then I thought to myself, what would it take, or what, it, what would it hurt for me to open the door for her? And then you you magnify that times 10 people that open doors for people. And all of a sudden we become a society, a group of people where it's not just about me, it's about you, it's about others. Yeah, I think that could have a big difference. One at a time, right? Yeah. Just like taking that first breath, 
Okay, so when I was going through basic training, right at the beginning of military, um, every Sunday they they gave us a break a little bit from getting yelled at and doing silly chores and all the other fun things that we associate with basic military training. And they say, okay, it's Sunday, uh, time for church. Catholics go this way, Protestants go the other. There were two. So are you Catholic or Protestant? I'm Protestant. Okay. So the father of the Protestant religion was Martin Luther. And he was a Catholic monk, uh, rebel, kind of a badass, if I can say that word in my ancestor's church. And also a well-known beer drinker because he was from Germany. So let's imagine you and he are sitting down and enjoying a pint of it and talking about rebelling. Rebelliousness. Uh, he rebelled against the big Catholic Church, literally nailed his grievances to the door of his house of worship. What uh, you know that action is pretty symbolic for so many re reasons that aren't necessarily faith-based. So, what does that action mean to you? You're talking to Martin Luther about rebelliousness. Uh, what's what's the symbolic nature of that? That you'd talk to about him. Where are you rebellious in life, maybe? What were you thinking? <laughs> Coffee was strong. <laughs> what were you thinking um, when you go up against any organization or institution with a declaration that they're doing it wrong or that there's a better way to do it? you always find yourself in a very, in one of two places, stupidity or overt courageousness. Overt courageousness. courageousness. Just not over. I cannot, since you brought it up, uh -huh. in the famous speech, he says, unless sacred writ convinces me otherwise, here I stand. I shall not recant. He was so firmly rooted in his convictions that he was willing, and his life was threatened multiple times. He was willing to say, you know what? This is wrong. Mm -hmm. That was courageousness. But if I was sitting and talking with him over a beer or strong coffee, what, Martin, if I may, what were you thinking? <laughs> because when you ask for the heart of the thing behind someone, you really understand where they're coming from. And I would just imagine he would have poured out his heart of how much he loved the church, of how much he loved the idea of what it represented and in his perspective and from his vantage point he saw it going a direction that he didn't want to see it go and he couldn't stay silent any longer so what are some things that are worth nailing to our boss's door now it's funny you would say that our, our boss the uh the wing king 
said something at a Christmas lunch. Okay, I'm just going to put in a disclaimer because I got to see him at work on. It's all good. Day. No. However, yeah, we all have several bosses in life. So we do. figuratively or literally, okay. what okay. are some things that we can nail to our boss's door? We need to bring attention to anything that's unethical, illegal, or immoral. And yet we have a hard time defining those sometimes. Right. And this is this is a very important direction that the Air Force as a whole is going. Our current chief of staff has a memo uh, accelerate change or lose. Mm -hmm. Something profound in that saying. Accelerate change or lose. Lose what? Part of the article talks about air superiority. Yeah. Part of it talks about great airmen. But I think in order to have all of those things, we have to take care of our people. And the thing that should be nailed to a door is anything that stands in the way of allowing people to have the freedom to be who they are. Okay, so expanding on that and sticking with Martin Luther for just a second. So he wasn't perfect, and, and we all know his later writings were discriminatory and intolerant. So um, I asked uh, one of my earlier guests, are we getting this right? Are we getting this right? Um, the idea of standing in the way of people being just who they are, we've been working at it. But are we getting it right? I would ask, what do you define as right? Okay, let's, let's say what's wrong. Um, our history of, of discrimination, intolerance, uh, bigotry, slavery in our nation, injustice, especially now. Those issues are real, and we're, we still struggle with those things. Um, as an organization, as human beings, what are we doing right? Mm. One of the senior chaplains in our state, as we were debriefing, from the civil disturbance response, said the following words, and I think they're really worth hearing. Not everybody grows up in the same experience that you did. And you can call that perspective taking, or you can call it whatever you want, but there's something really powerful about not only looking at things through your set of lenses, do we have the ability to see well? And where, do, where does that start? How do we get better at that? It begins with owning your own stuff. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. My son once, not with the civil disturbance, but something else that was going on in our country at the time, he said something so profound. He said, Dad, no one comes out of the womb with prejudice. They learn it somewhere. Now, he's older now, and this was much younger, but every once in a while, he says these incredibly profound things that I just have to take a deep breath and say, wow, where's that coming from? And then I take the deep inventory of self and, you know, fathership 
okay, what did I portray? What did I, what have I, how have I led? Um, you don't come out of the womb with prejudice. You learn it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it has to go back to the innocence of not knowing, being quote unquote pure babes with, with, with no, no preconceived ideas or knowledge or prejudices or things like that. Come back to an innocence that says, how would I want to be treated? Because oftentimes, you will actually treat someone like you would want to be treated. And if that's not the case, then that's another issue altogether. Yeah. Well, let's round things out a little bit. Play some quick questions, huh? These are fun. Trust me. But we'll stick on, we'll stick on the Martin Luther theme just because, you know, I like to get some obscure facts in here too. So his refusal to renounce his writings... Um, at the demand of Pope Leo X in 1520 and the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V at the Diet of Worms in 1521. By the way, here's the rules. One word answers. Okay. Um, Resulted in his excommunication by the Pope and condemnation um, as an outlaw by the Emperor at the Diet of Worms in 1521. What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Camo Meatballs. Movie that made you cry. To end all wars. George Patton or Mark Milley. Patton. Early Riser or Night Owl? Night Owl. It's almost Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving or Christmas? Christmas. Pumpkin or apple pie? Oh, apple pie. Favorite app on your phone? The one that shuts it down. (laughs) (laughs) You you and Colonel Scar. Power. (laughs) The best decade to live in. (laughs) 80s. Uh, I was going to go with that (laughs) one too. Sorry. (laughs) This is fun and all, but oh, the 80s. All right. We got a couple minutes left. Write this down. You ever hear that before? Write this down. And uh, we've talked a lot about some pretty heavy things. Um, Last episode, I talked with Heather Booten. She was fantastic. She writes down her goals on a Post-it note and puts them on her mirror so that she's reminded of of those every day. What's something that you wish everyone would write down and remember every day? How am I taking the best opportunity that I'm given to live my life with purpose and meaning. Say that one more time. How am I taking my best opportunity with the opportunities I'm given to live my life with purpose and meaning? You're living in pursuit of. You're not just getting by or surviving. You're living with, with purpose and meaning. Good, I got it mostly written down. Chaplain, thanks. This has been a lot of fun. 
been my pleasure. Absolutely. Mine too. So uh, this episode is going to air on the 16th of November on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. I hope you have all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Our next episode is going to air on November 30th, and I am going to get a chance to sit down with Brigadier General Sandy Best. She's the advisor to the Chief of the National Guard Bureau for Diversity and Inclusion. She's also our state's Deputy Adjutant General and a former 133rd member. So thanks again, Chaplain Beckwith, for joining me and going a little bit deeper. I hope you and your family have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks, Chief. Yep.